podcast where musicians discuss the art that inspires them and what they do with that inspiration. My name is Rowan Smith. Thank you for joining me. Today on the podcast, friend, musician, composer, living cartoon, Dr. Sick. He came through with an album from the early 90s that I have to admit I was not too familiar with until way late in the game. He brought in the Alice in Chains album, Dirt. I was there for it, but I feel like I kind of missed the whole grunge movement. I was a hip-hop kid. Um, I was unable to appreciate the groundbreaking genre that grunge was until I was, I don't know, in my late 20s or something like that. So I was really happy to dig into this album with Dr. Sick, a man that loves this genre and knows it inside and out. So it was a great learning experience for someone like me, uh, and it was a great conversation. It's coming up in just a few minutes. Stick around for that. All right, guys, the song I want to play for you at the top of the show comes from a a very groundbreaking and influential group in their own right. Um, They formed in 1979, didn't put out their first EP until 1985. I'm talking about Fishbone with their self-titled EP and the first track off of that EP, Ugly. Now, the way I came across this track, I was invited over to my good friend DJ Quickie Mart's house to dig through his music collection. He was getting ready to move out to L.A., for a second time and he had me come over dig through his music collection and relieve him of some of this excess weight that he had to move out there so uh, I brought home a decent stack of music one of the first things that I threw on was the Fishbone EP now I have to admit I was not very familiar with Fishbone I knew who they were I knew how important they were in various scenes Uh, I just unfortunately didn't have any of their music in my own collection so I was really happy to have it Um, But the first track, it really got me, guys. So I want to play it for you uh, from Fishbone's 1985 self-titled EP, Ugly. Fishbone's 1985 self-titled EP, what I believe is their first release. What I love about this song is the attitude of it. The hook is very childish, almost playground-like. It's a, it's a childhood chant that we all used to do. But the verse is where the smart socio-political commentary comes in. You gotta remember, at the time, it was Reagan that was running things, another celebrity that was somehow voted into office. And it was a very scary time for a lot of people. And bands like Fishbone spoke to that. At times, they had very serious subject matter, but they never lost their fun, childlike edge, which is very represented on this track. I believe the band was started by two brothers, the Fisher brothers, on bass and drums, 
They brought in Angelo Moore for vocal saxophone and theremin, Kendall Jones on guitar, Walker Dirty Kirby II on vocals and trumpet, and Christopher Dowd on keyboards, trombone, and vocals. I would consider them somewhat of a fusion band as they played ska, punk, metal, funk, soul, reggae. I mean, in the end, it's all just fishbone, guys. So do what you gotta do to support, buy it, download it, rediscover it. Their name is Fishbone, the track is ugly. All right, guys, I got a great episode coming up for you. Before we get into it, I just wanna remind you, number one, I could use some reviews, guys. Give me some of those five-star reviews on iTunes. They really help people discover the podcast. Also, it's the week of Thanksgiving. And what am I thankful for? I'm thankful for you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this little independent podcast. Uh, I want to give a shout out to a few of the places that have been listening regularly. Uh, United Kingdom, Denmark, South Africa, Netherlands, Chile, uh, Indonesia, the Republic of Korea, Finland, Turkey, Canada, Portugal, Argentina, Germany, Portland, Spain, Ireland, Nigeria, Japan, Ecuador. Thank you so much for listening, guys. It really means a lot to me. I'm doing this on my own. I don't get paid for it. I don't have sponsorship. So I'm really thankful that everybody's listening and that everybody's enjoying it so far. So uh, shoot me some links, guys. Let's discover some music together. I'd love to play a song that I've never heard at the top of a show that one of you hipped me to. So send a link to deeplyfeltpodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram at deeplyfeltpodcast. I'd love to hear from you. So this episode, like I said, good friend Dr. Sick came through to talk about his life as a musician and how Alice in Chains affected that. So we had a great conversation about it. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Friends, this is Deeply Felt. Hey friends, with me in the studio today is Dr. Sick. He's the musical director and a performer in the Squirrel Nut Zippers and has produced several records including a new release coming out this fall by Flyway. He's also the musical director for 999 Eyes Freak Show, which will be touring through the Midwest this October in an attempt to cure society of mediocrity. His bands in New Orleans include Sextet, The Rotten Cores, and the late greats, Dr. Sick. How are you today, brother? I'm feeling just fine down here in New Orleans. How are you doing, Mr. Rowan? I'm doing all right, man. You just got back from... The West Coast, right? Seattle. Just got back from Seattle, bro. A lot of L's in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> Turn the L up a little bit. <laughs> what, uh, what were you doing out in Seattle, bro? I was the ringmaster for a circus for Lagunitas Beer. And I'm going to be doing that again in Chicago and uh, Pataluma. Maybe Pataluma by the time this gets released. I'm not sure. Right but, on. Uh, well, I know you as a... As a multi-instrumentalist yes. and and you know uh composer and yes. and new orleans personality for certain oh go uh, on <laughs> but but like okay so how are you getting these gigs as a ringmaster in other cities so all right um uh, i i live in new orleans i lived in austin for a good while and while i was there i fell in love again with cartoons which led me to vaudeville it's the only way you can really be a cartoon on stage and so i got <laughs> into br- yes yeah, awesome it's yeah. super fun if you're not a cartoon you should try it um <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I started a burlesque troupe and I had a vaudevillian duet for a while and uh, novelty songs started working their way into my repertoire of both original and covers 
And uh, then I was approached by the 999 Eyes Freak Show, and within a couple of years became more the 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 point guard for directing. Okay. First of all, let me say, I don't write the songs necessarily for the freak show, mm -hmm. but I arrange them to match what the vaudevillian performers are doing. That's why I'm musical director, but Dylan Blackthorne is the band leader. Gotcha. Samantha X is the producer who wrangles the cast along with me and Dylan. And Black Scorpion, who is a natural-born human oddity, uh, <laughs> is the writer of the arc of the show. And so those are the four forces that are going on the road with a rotating cast. Right on, But man. uh because of that resume and other weirdo work that I'd done, corporate events and anything else, as a host, as right. an MC, and as you said, a weirdo character, I have a lot of I didn't hats. use the word weirdo. But a character around New Orleans <laughs> better be a weirdo. It's, no one wants to be the I straight agree. man in a town like this. But uh, um, Agent Red of Crash Alchemy, and she's a, um, a booking agent of sorts. Of, of, not of sorts. She's a booking agent, and she and I have worked together closely. She got the contract with Lagunitas. Right and, on. And uh, flying me out to do these promotional events, Brother, fundraisers that makes and stuff. so much sense. It's tons of fun. I get to work with people from all over the country, some of whom I'm, I've known for years, some I'm just meeting for the first time. Right on. Five minutes before they get on stage and do a lion tamer routine. <laughs> That's pretty hip, man. Yeah. I, I, I can totally see you at the center of that uh, being the, the MC, so to speak. I like to Definitely talk. suits you, brother. Thank you. Um, so the big question, uh, what inspires you on a daily basis? <sighs> On a daily basis. Sure. I mean, just, just uh, broad strokes, you know, the, the the general living of life. How adult is this podcast? As adult as you'd like to be. Uh, marijuana inspires me to clean my place. Mm. Um, and uh, the fear of banality inspires me to learn a new instrument like piano. And so the other day, um, I... Uh, I, I've recently inherited my family piano. Um, nice. And, what kind? Oh, it's a really cool old no-namey thing from the 30s in right New York. On. It cost me a couple grand to get it down here yeah. from Buffalo, where I'm from. And I'm glad you did it, though. Oh, man, that thing. I was raised with that piano in my family's living room, you know, so... Um, and I was never given any lessons. I was, I'm a violin player first, and they would like send me to the basement to practice, but you can't send the piano to the basement. Right. So, <laughs> so I was driving my mom a little crazy, even though she's super supportive of everything I've done musically. But uh, she was like, get him a keyboard or something. Take it upstairs. Like, get him headphones. I can't. Too much music. My dad's a musician. I'm a musician. My brother's a tinker. And oh, you come from a, from a background? And my mom was actually in like a family band that would go to churches on Sundays oh, right for on, extra man. money. She has like... Uh, six siblings and uh, her mother's a great piano player self-taught and her brothers played uh, and sang and she played piano and sang and like that's so killer she, so yeah. my parents met because of music and i am that accident that happened later oh that's beautiful anyway whatever i was talking about it's uh, a happy accident brother the, i'm i'm learning mr bungle songs on piano because they play like every chord change and i know how it's funny you mentioned that i just watched a <laughs> film last night an action film called Bun bunraku oh that sure was, that was narrated by the lead singer of mike of, Patton. yes Yes, Mac, Mike Patton, lead Love singer Mike of Patton. Faith No More and Mr. Bungle. Well, we're going to talk about all the great 90s weirdo lead singers, and he is way <laughs> up there. He is right on. unbelievably yeah. influential on what I do. Interesting and 80s cat. weirdo singers, and technically 70s. But You know what? I really like what he did, the, the, the odd... Uh, 
I don't I don't know voice noises that he did with Bjork. Oh yeah, on, yeah, sure. Uh, what, was, what was that album she did? Want me to blow your mind real quick? Sure, hit me. Uh, you know that crappy movie I Am Legend with Will Smith, where all the zombies look like a bad video game? Yeah. He did all of the voices for all of the zombies with no vocal effects. <laughs> That's perfect. That makes so much sense to me. Because he is the most versatile. He's got a seven or eight octave range. Yeah. The dude's nuts. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts. I saw him play here. And He's he the called... reason I tried practicing inward singing where you can hit the really yeah, high. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I like, learned that's that. That's my voice, but I, I'm breathing a, in. That's an actual technique that uh, Bobby McFerrin actually mm. uses when he's breathing. He'll make his breath a oh, note. Bobby. Right? Anyway. Anyway, all right. back to it. So back to it. So, uh, so, so when, find... I, when I am bored, I am inspired. If I'm not doing something that's furthering my day, my marriage, my dogs, my art, my business, then I start getting antsy and I don't want to end up just playing Sudoku on my phone all day right. which I've been very guilty of I don't like good video games I mm. only like Tetris <laughs> me I too like I love Tetris I love uh, Tetris but, so you find inspiration in is it is it that you are inspired by boredom or is it that boredom forces you to tap into that that inspiration I think it's probably both a bit of both I think it's a bit of both um, I think sometimes my mind wanders uh, there's a lyric that Jimbo Mathis from the Squirrel Nut Zippers wrote kind of about me it says his brain is buzzing like a hive and it's because I'm constantly thinking about 10 things mm -hmm. simultaneously which can lead to rambling and right. sometimes rambling can lead to great music and art and so if I catch myself podcasts. if it's I catch myself I going you. down a, a mental rabbit hole I'll grab a pen and paper and just start free well, there's free association just words Hell or yeah. phrases that I catchphrases I use all the time and just start uh, making lists I also like quantifying things making lists and mm. mathematical patterns and stuff right on like the piano that I'm, I'm learning I'm teaching myself to play piano I'm gonna need some technique lessons here in a minute because I know how the keyboard works I know the music theory behind it from all my composition training and and, and being from a musical family I don't know how piano playing mm. works like mm -hmm the mechanics, the body mechanics of what your fingers have to do. Right. Uh, so you don't get carpal tunnel. There's that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, the thing I was always amazed with, uh, not just in other people, but myself, I took piano lessons when I was a kid and every time I could trick my left hand into doing something different than my right hand. Mm. Separation uh, of limbs. My dad's yeah, a drummer, man. so I got that. Right. Yeah. 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 My dad was, uh, I come from a musical family myself, long line of jazz musicians. And my dad was a, world-class guitar player. Um, unfortunately, my brother inherited the majority of that. I can oh, pick yeah. up, I can... I Your can, brother's a banging musician. I, I think so too, man. He's a pretty killer killer player and writer. Um, I can pick up a, a guitar and I can make it seem... Like, if somebody doesn't know how to play the guitar, they'd think I did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nah, man. Uh, no, I'm I, just I got too... I was too intimidated by the rest of my family. I became a singer and a vocalist just because... Uh, Nobody else was, and well, they couldn't judge that. If the listening audience doesn't know, Rowan Smith is a secret weapon singer. He's oh, thank you, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. Bad man. mother. Thank you very much. Um, but so, okay, so you've got this, you've got this musical thing in your genes from the family. You've got the separation of limbs thing. You're picking up instrument after instrument as you go along. At what point in your life were you like, I'm going to? I mean, I think it was probably. I feel like. And tell me if I'm wrong. All right, come on. But you seem like one of those cats in my mind. You're that dude that has always been this guy. And you've kind of always known, at least on some level, that you were going to do something in the arts, probably in music. 
And, uh, but at what point did it become like, I'm going to new Orleans, I'm going to be a new Orleans musician and I'm going to make Oof. that thing happen. I don't know that I ever made that conscious decision. It's just happened to you. Um, sort of, I did it to myself, but mm -hmm. it wasn't <laughs> planned. Uh, okay. So let's back it up. Uh, I could have gone down a completely different path. I was a very quiet kid and, uh, I really felt, uh, especially in like, um, my formative years, the late eighties, early nineties that I wasn't connecting with other people that even though I had people I called friends I wasn't I didn't have a closeness with them it was more games right. it was it was very on the surface and so I was a lot of I spent a lot of time in the basement of my parents place or in my bedroom um Dude, I would play with dolls. I still do to this day. I just, I just liked to uh, establish social scenarios. Uh, I'd like to read crappy little books made for fifth graders uh -huh. or whatever when I was in fifth grade. I'm not right. weird. Sure. But, uh, but, uh, and I would, I would catch myself casting them. I remember watching the X Men cartoon on Fox and being like, um, uh, I, I think, uh, I think Glenn Danzig would make a great Wolverine. And I would sit there and like cast. What if it was live action? It's and funny. I used to read Wizard Magazine, and Glenn Danzig was one of the people <laughs> yeah. that a fan, it might have been you, a fan wrote in and was like, Glenn Danzig Probably should be Wolverine. <laughs> no, see, because that would have been interactive, and I wasn't an and interactive you were an person. Interactive, right? I wouldn't go to concerts. I wouldn't do things. But then when I was about. Wait a minute. You didn't go. No, no, no. You didn't no, go to no, concerts. Let me reiterate that. I played concerts since I was four years old, and I saw Behind the Veil, and I, I had gone to things like, you know, outdoor free festivals. Every city's got one. Buffalo has Canal Fest. And they have music at Art Park and uh, uh, all, all sorts of different like micro festivals sure. that had multiple stages outside. And you buy the tickets that so you can trade them in for the beer. <laughs> and I've been going to that since I was a kid. But I was never like drawn to anything that I saw there. It wasn't until way later when I saw someone melt my face with how much they put into it. Who that was that? I was like, oh, man, there were several all at once. Sure. And it was no names, man. Um, I think the furthest any of them got was Mexican Session out of Buffalo. Hmm. But I'm talking, I guess they would be called punk shows. We would go to the Battle of the Bands at the American Legion and watch all of these bands play for free and get ripped off. Where were you? They were they were playing for free. We were paying to see them, the producer. Right, of course. This is the suburbs of Buffalo, New York okay, at a yeah. time when their economy was quite unfortunate. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was, up, I was up there in the Rust Belt around the oh, same time. Oh, I love the Rust yeah. Belt. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And they're finally, like... I say finally, but they're having yet another cultural resurgence. Mm -hmm. Like Buffalo has always been up and down creatively and really as far as like safety and money, like yeah. it's a tough town uh, yeah. because it's unpredictable. Sure. But anyway, I would see all these bands like figure it out on stage. And then I even joined a couple of them. I drummed with one of them. I played bass with a band called Black Plague. That you've never heard them. It doesn't matter. We were just covering Metallica songs that we had no business trying to play right. yet. We were yeah. twelve and thirteen years yeah. old. I'd been playing violin since so I was it goes, a kid. Right? I like, mean, that's really the thing. Yeah, and and that was it. Was like I just want finally to like have friends and <laughs> and tell them what to do. And I started casting them. I was like, no, this is your baseline. I wrote it, you know, and, right. and yeah. that was not working either. <laughs> and so I ended up going to music school for film composition because I found uh, Danny Elfman was a huge influence of mine as well. Um, and later, Oingo Boingo. But at that point, I thought, Oingo Boingo sucks. I like Danny Elfman. And now I understand <laughs> I was so not wrong, but... Uh, I, I didn't get it yet. Mm -hmm. I missed it by just a few years. I was just the wrong age. If I would have been five years older, Oingo Boingo would have, I would have tried to join that band. Yeah. You know, 
because if you listen to it just in the background, it could be quite cheesy. Mm. But if you like cheesy, it's wonderful. Right. Yeah. And I was at a point where I was like, Marilyn Manson or die. You know, nah, um, cheese can be yummy. I'm I'm burlesque announcer. I right? have to be you cheesy. You have to be you know? cheesy, like, right? Yeah, like I just didn't get it yet. But anyway, um, I wanted to be a film uh, co- composer of some sort. Um, which I've successfully done a few times, which is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Um, again, movies that have not really gone anywhere. I'm not going to blame it on my soundtrack work. No, <laughs> I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Uh, indie films and stuff. But uh, the idea of being in charge of a 60-piece orchestra, they have the music in front of them, they do what I say when I say it, and then I add my noise on top of it, just like mm. Danny Elfman does. I'm like, that's my dream job. Yeah, right. And I realized the school I was going to had not produced a single successful film composer, and it was expensive and cold in Boston. So that's when I moved to New Orleans. I had never been here before. I just went down to visit it was a couple weeks before Halloween. I was not visiting friends because, as I said, I'm not an interactive person. I just heard that, you know, um, uh, Nothing Records was based down here, mm-hmm. fronted by Trent Reznor, Nine Inch Nails. who babysat me. That uh, a lot of my favorite, um, like, weirdo films and actors had been from near here or spent a lot of time here. Well, you know, uh, Trent is from near where we're from. Uh, he's Rust Belt as hell, yeah, man. Yeah, he was yeah. like corn country, but still. He was my dad's keyboard player in my dad's first band. <laughs> Fuck you. Before he went off, I'm serious, he babysat me. Before he went off to, uh, he moved to Cleveland, started a band called The Exotic Birds. Mm-hmm, yep. And then. They're kind uh, of new wavy. Right. And then came down south and started uh, Nine Inch Nails. I think he started Nine Inch Nails up there Did too, he? but he was working with Chris Vrenna remotely. Oh, okay. And that led him to like, you know, but he likes living weird places. Yeah. I think he liked it down here for a lot of different like historic reasons. It's funny. He used to come into the coffee shop that I worked at yeah. and I'd be like, hey, Trent, you know, he'd be like, oh my God, like I can't, you know, the last Just time he had seen me, the last oh, time cool. he had seen me, wow. I was five. You know what That's I'm saying? Cool. Uh, yeah, it was wild. He was in there with the edge from... You too, and I, I served them their coffee like a good boy. <laughs> good. <laughs> all right, so you moved down okay, here. So I moved down here. I wanted to start a metal band. I really okay. did. And uh, uh, it was at a time when, like, um, Goat Horror was going, and there was some other, like, grungy-ass metal bands, but I wanted to do something more sophisticated and mathematical, like uh, maybe Meshuggah meets Tool kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? right? Somewhere on. in the yeah, middle. That like, sounds wild. Still really heavy, but very melodic. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Every drummer I was working with, because, you know, I couldn't pay anybody. I'm 19, 20 years old. Um, I didn't know how to really book my own shows or anything yet. I just kind of winging it. Um, every drummer I got was really funky. And mm. well, uh, at can't... the time, especially, I was turned off to the idea of, like, like something that makes you want to fight and kind of smoke weed and dance. Like, it wasn't <laughs> really my thing at the time. Well, but, but being in New Orleans, how could you find somebody that wasn't that because oh, I mean, they were around they were in the burbs there was a big emo thing going on too okay. and that's i started working with at that of, time and it was like the we're jam talking band 2000 yeah. we're talking 99 2000 that was like the jam band here. heyday down here i know ann rice was thrown in the towel with her events that she mm-hmm. was throwing down here and uh nothing studios had moved to the sharon tate house five mm-hmm. years earlier and um and you know like there was still a subculture of of like industrial goth and that's one of the things that drew me here i've always been into frankly that kind of girl so well, sure yeah no, i get it <laughs> being 19 it. years old like look at all that makeup i bet she's damaged on the inside let's hang out i'll pay your rent you know so well, you know it's funny at that time shit. <laughs> terrible but at that time hormones suck people don't have hormones if you can help it yeah right <laughs> at that time uh i was uh underground hip-hop guy 
And I know that I had and to. We both moved here the same at year. The same in same like year, two thousand. Yeah, I was an underground hip hop guy. Surprised I know we didn't that, know each other. I know, right? I, dude, when we met, we were like, "How the fuck did we not know?" Because each other? I didn't know people. Me I wasn't either. reaching out. I wasn't going to places where I would be in a social situation. Well, that's my question. How did you, being into the 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 genre the the genre of music that you were into at the time that you wanted to be a part of? Um, I know as a, an underground hip hop guy, I had to seek out small little venues, hole in the wall clubs. Where did what were the spots where you found? Oh, yeah, what were the oh, spots where, where could you have, found Where would they stuff? let me play with my? Well, shitty, not just not let good you bands. play, but where did you where did you find uh, shows to partake in? Like, well, to, back then you know the Shim I mean? Sham Club had some good stuff, I uh, and the then Shim I was. Uh, um, uh, when I was living up in Boston, I got into like arena stagehand work. So mm. that transferred over to working at the House of Blues okay, and yeah. Tipitina's the Superdome. I ran spot for share on one event from the ceiling of the Superdome. Kind of cool. But, but okay, you so, know, that's not what I was looking for musically. So I would see all right, these uh, odd bands playing at the parish or over at uh, Shim Sham Club on off days. On like Tuesday, okay. you would see cattle decapitation with anal blast and be like, what is this? It's just like real <laughs> yeah. thrash punk, vegan, hardcore, all, all these different <laughs> genres that somehow barely survived the 90s. That's hilarious, vegan, uh, hardcore. The dude, cattle decapitation is a badass band. I'm saying that singer's a witch. But anyway... Uh, I, I kind of had to dig it out myself. Um, God, what was the name of that bar down by Bank Street? And like, uh, they would have like a black and gray tattoo competition. Person with the best one gets a couple free beers, and the artist I gets fifty bucks. And that's where I would see like different emo bands with Steve Roussel and different people. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I I didn't. I didn't find what I was looking for. Ultimately, I found that the punks in New Orleans at the turn of the millennia had kind of gone into a direction of um, acoustic, post-apocalyptic mm. music in some sort That's of way. Well, it seemed like it seemed like we were playing bluegrass and swing jazz because the world's going to end and you're not going to have your precious microphones or electricity. So this is going to be king <laughs> as soon as everything blows up. Right. I don't know. And I, I ended up in a bluegrass band. I w did not want to be in uh, playing violin at all. I wanted to play metal. I want to play guitar metal. Yeah. And I had a violin. A girl broke my heart. I started playing it. And I was like, oops. <laughs> I seem to have retained all of my knowledge on this thing. I can talk with it. That's something I can't really do with a guitar right now. I can't, right. I can't be soulful. Every time I pick it up, it's like Which is not math. the case anymore. Oh, no, no, no. I could, I could translate musically in different directions. And I don't think it wasn't the case then. I think the guitar was a distraction then. Hmm. The guitar, if That's I picked it up, I would try and do something I wasn't capable of. Okay. And so it became very mathematical and pattern-oriented right. and not as soulful. But with a violin, I wasn't pattern oriented, and I could just be soulful, and that's all all I could do. And now mm -hmm. I've actually grown as a violin player. So anyway, I ended up joining this bluegrass band because they offered me money to play on Royal Street, and I was like, all right. And then I found out about all the like speedgrass, like Split Lip Rayfield, and the different festival circuit, um, and found a band that was looking for a fiddle player, and just didn't even ask any questions, put my stuff in storage, and went on the road. Nice. Yeah. How long were you out? Um, that was um. Just about a year with them, only visiting home for two months. Oh, okay. And not wow. New Orleans. We, they were based out of Tulsa. And uh, I ultimately like had a bad breakup experience with them and moved to Austin to join a swing band. Hmm. Uh, and they had heard of me. The Asylum Street Spankers had heard of me because of a mutual friend who knew that I was a street musician with a mohawk who played violin, and they needed a lead player. And all they heard was, Mohawk, we haven't had that yet. Let's call him. Yeah, you right. Know? So... 
That led me to Austin for a while. Right on. Yeah. This is just my bio now. What are we sure. doing here? No, I was supposed I, to be no, talking man. about like... What, I'm loving it. Because I didn't... The, what I'm saying is nothing turned me on to be like, you should be a New Orleans musician, except being in New being Orleans. Being in New Orleans, right. And being an immersed uh, musician, like, I try and... Um, Complement whatever I'm doing with the musicians, the geniuses that I'm surrounded with. And so it makes a lot of sense that I'm like, I got the best street beat drummer you've ever heard. Mm. And I think that could be really heavy. So let's turn up the distortion pedals and 86 the horns and take the groove that comes from, you know, the, the parade tradition down here and make it rock a different way. Right. Not better, not harder, just a different way. And, um, uh, okay, schmaltzy swing jazz, the stuff that you'll hear in the hotel lobbies where they're like, oh, honey, that reminds me of Louis Armstrong. And it's not. <laughs> right, it's it's, uh, it's not. new. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a great quote from recent days is, uh, New Orleans is the birthplace of Frenchman Street Jazz. <laughs> that, I don't know who exactly That's said that. I have a good. feeling it's my buddy Nate. But, uh, but it's not as traditional as some people think it's just played on the traditional instruments because the tradition is such that it's supposed to grow and ebb and flow Mm -hmm. and post uh uh dr john just passed away a couple couple months ago great man great great style i like his style more than anything else was a styling motherfucker man top hats and weird shirts love that guy (laughs) buttons and just his stroll his walk was fucking cool man. eyebrows anyway that that dude is rare breed after he had passed away, I found some footage of him playing a funky three-chord version of What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And I'm like, what is that? And he's quoted as being like, great, the, the strongest aspect of New Orleans music is you don't have to play a song the way it goes. That's very true. That's not true in Nashville. That's very true. That's not yeah. true in 90s grunge you don't cover one of those songs unless you completely reinvent right like uh or you just do it note for note like the tori what tori amos covered uh smells Smells like like, teen spirit right right. it was not good enough i didn't well it. it was it was so drastically different right uh that it it lost the energy. I don't know. If and that it went was, from that's a not song, even what I consider drastic. See, I feel different. like it went from a song that had that was good because of its energy to a song that was not good because it lacked the energy of Really? Yeah. Alright, let's play that game. So I have a guitar right here. Um this is Nirvana. Right? Uh-huh. I don't know if that's reading very well on the recording. That's no, there, but, yeah. But what she did was just Yeah. Or whatever it is. Right? Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guitarists out there. For, <laughs> for trying to do an impression of Tori Amos playing a guitar. It's not working. But, she was a piano but, but still, it's too similar. Mm-hmm. It's it's too much of the same melody even, you right. know, to really like set things out there. I see what you're you saying. You know, like there are people who are taking a cover song and just not even close to right. what the original sounded you like. Might That's recognize more it. You might recognize it because like, of a lyric. Oh man, I can't believe Marilyn Manson's doing Suicide is Painless and it sounds nothing like Suicide right, is Painless. Right. And it's just God motifs. You're like, wow, that is, that, that that's like anti-sacred or something mm-hmm. you know whereas if i'm gonna play the beautiful people it's gotta either go exactly the way it does or sound absolutely nothing, nothing sonically like it, right. melodically or you know it's the only way you could and then i don't know i don't know 
No, I, I feel you. I understand what you're saying. The playbook was made by bands like Nirvana, where if they covered a song, it was, first of all, a cool song you've never heard never of heard by of, a right. band you've maybe a heard of. Cut. And then they would play it identically and it would end up on their B-Sides album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the only one that ever landed on a major release, which wasn't a major release at first, was Bleach had Love Buzz. Right. And yeah. otherwise, and they were doing all these like songs by you know, the, the, the Wipers and... Uh, Vaseline's. They were doing all these tunes live at clubs when they were like, "Ah, oh, shit, guys, we have to play for three hours. We only have a couple hours of original <laughs> stuff. Let's let's do Molly's lips." You know, like. All right. So speaking of '90s grunge, mm. being that you come, soul. you grew up. That's in, my soul music, man. You, we both grew up around the same time uh, when you were getting into grunge music, which would have been early to mid nineties. I was obsessed with uh, like progressive new New York hip hop and shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like kinda, that too, but I kind of missed I kinda, that train a little that bit. That was my like guilty pleasure. Like uh, I would secretly yeah. listen to diggable planets. That's exactly uh, what I'm talking about. It wasn't cool for diggable planets hit. And I was, like, I was sound garden fans to listen to diggable planets, but it was, I, I was amazing music. Same, so. same. Like I was listening to diggable planets and far side and, and, and PM dawn. And you know, these, oh, these melodic hip hop guys that were deep, and, and emotional and then on the other side I've got this angry music uh, and I'm identifying so much with like the calmer introspective stuff but there's this other side of me that's like you know what Soundgarden is really fucking dope and I can't tell my hip hop friends about it because back then your whole life was who the music that you identified with was the it, crew of people there, that you it was before with. Napster it Before was, right? Napster, you're mm-hmm. supposed to like fit into a little genre, and that's your group of friends. You yeah. kind of dress the same, you listen to the same ish, right? Shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, not ish. Like if you were into Coal Chamber, then you also <laughs> listened to first of all far better bands, but uh, yeah. you you had a look. There uh-huh. was a thing, oh, you sure. know, and you know you all went to the mall mm-hmm. at the same times, mm-hmm. and you all smoked weed at the same kid's backyard, and right. you know you were that kind of a kid. And if you were hip hop, you were this. And if you were preppy, you were this. Very true. If you were a boy band thing, you were this. And then Napster came out and was just like, "Hey, metalheads, Bob Marley's pretty cool too." And you're like, "Yeah, it is pretty <laughs> it cool. Is pretty I like cool. listen to Bob Marley and Clutch. Yeah, right. What's yeah. the common thing? You know? And yeah. it's just uh, Napster really, really changed music forever, in my opinion. It did um, for better and for worse. And we were of like almost exactly the same age. We're only a couple years apart. Uh-huh. So I spent my year in college watching Napster get like sued and we're at Berkeley College of Music. I'm not advertising or advocating for them. If you go, good <laughs> fucking for you, but I'm not going back. But uh, <laughs> but seriously, we spent that whole year I was there downloading on everyone's computer oh, as yeah. fast as possible oh, yeah. before they changed the rules. Absolutely. And honestly... I'm still of the mind. If you're furthering your education as a musician, all music should be 100 percent free. You, you should have what? a download card. It for should be the world. like uh, if if you. And I'm a musician. I make right. my money off of this. If you're exactly. But if you're a musician, I feel like it should be like you're a teacher. You get discounts to on on Not shit. Not discounts. Access Ask, to access everything. To things, Freedom of information resources. for other musicians. But at the same time, yeah. I feel like. You know, brother, we're not getting paid right now because music isn't special to people anymore. It's not something they have to... Well, you know what I'm saying, man. It's not something that people have to seek out anymore. It's just... It's like air, and that's how they feel it should be. It's not something you save up your money for. It's not something you save up your money for and go digging for and like... Uh, That means we got got in the 90s. We were talking before we started recording this. We we were talking about how in 90s, the soundtrack game... And the singles game, we didn't even talk about all the halos that Nine Inch Nails put out. <laughs> but the game was you have a major release yeah. that has 10 or 15 bands that are similar enough on there, 
but you bought it just because it has a Pantera song that you can't right. get on a Pantera yep. record. You have to buy the soundtrack. The and then all of a sudden record. you're like, huh, I didn't know I liked Silverchair, but that was pretty boss. Right. I'm going to go to Columbia House and get 12 <laughs> CDs for a dollar under a fake name. Right. I think I'm past the statute of limitations on that fraud I think so. that we all think, committed in I the 90s so. also. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Columbia House, fuck you. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. They suck. But uh, no, but for real, like that's the only way you could find out about these new bands. And mm-hmm. it was uh, a snake eating its own tail. Totally. You would go and be like, wow, there's five remixes of this Nine Inch Nails song. The only way I can get it is if I get this single. And they would drop just one of those things as a teaser on the Natural Born Killer soundtrack right. or Lost Highway or The Crow or something. You're like, wow, yep. I don't know where to find the rest of this session. Yeah. And the man, remember early 2000s when Deftones released White Pony and they did six different versions of the exact same album, but the songs were in a different order and the cover was a different color. It was just monochromatic. This is the red one with a white pony on it. This is the that. silver yeah. one with the white pony on it. And there was one song per release oh, that wasn't on the other five. I worked at Tower Records back then and sold several people six copies of the same $23 album in a single sale just so they can get the one song because you didn't have Spotify. You couldn't just download it and hear it. You couldn't, it was, that technology wasn't perfected as it is right. now. And man, they had us in their pocket. We were <laughs> just did. buying every piece of plastic we it's could. True. I got interview discs by Kurt Cobain yeah. because it had a different picture on it. I already had that interview. <laughs> it was like baseball cards. I got a couple of Prince ones that are like that. Um, all right, so. <laughs> <laughs> I just picked up the Sliver 45 uh, while I was at the Sub Pop store in Seattle. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Uh, all right, man. It. So let's still hooked. Yeah, still hooked, man. Still hooked. Can't get away from it. But let's talk shop. Um, every artist has some kind of a pivotal point in their artistic careers when they hear something that gives them a new outlook on their art. And uh, you being a kitchen sink or everything but well, everything, including the kitchen sink kind of an artist. I was really excited as to to what kind of music you might bring me in to talk about today. What? album did you bring in as an example of something that was really influential to you and your work all right as i stated before energy is most of what i'm drawn to Mm -hmm. and i think there is a perfect album that hits on just enough of the things that inspire me as a whole and it's not a nirvana album but i'm they're definitely like the most influential band i've i've ever had basically that band was taught me that if this guy can do it i, I can do it and, and which it, guy this... kirk cobain if kirk cobain can do that i can do that right okay you know so that that really just opened so many doors to my psyche but perfect album i stand by this i will debate it with anyone dirt by allison chains top to bottom is one of the most 90s ass things you could possibly hear it is shocking it is depressing and sexy at the same time which is very telling it's You've interesting portishead radiohead nirvana Soundgarden. they're they're depressing but it kind of makes you want to make out with that girl oh, i know all the words you're not even washing your hair <laughs> and you're somehow like like it's a, it was a thing it was depressing was big even tlc had their depressing hits oh, you know they did. totally uh, what's that uh uh uh, Free Your Mind by En Vogue mm. was almost like a protest song, mm. but it was dark and mean. And, yeah, it was. And it was like, wow, is, how sexy. is, how is 
<laughs> complaining hot for like almost the better part of a decade. Yeah. And it was. So Dirt was like an okay. opus about heroin troubles and uh, the, the generation that came after Vietnam, mm-hmm. you know, and right. it's got political elements. It's got Dada expressionist screaming, interesting uses of tape techniques, uh, the, the classic fade in, fade out coming back for the first time I'd heard since mm. like bands ripping off the Beatles. Right. It's just got all of these different just... I can't speak highly enough of that collaborative process that Alice in Chains seemingly perfected on that album. Right on, man. All right, so yeah. let's uh, let's start. Let's dive into this record a little bit. All right. What's the first track you want to listen to? Dude, we're starting as shocking as possible. Just hit play at the top. This is Dem Bones. <laughs> <laughs> Chains Dirt 1992 release. I feel like such a nerd. I just love this stuff so much, and I feel like I'm the last one or something. Not at all, man. Oh man. I mean, look, I wasn't, I wasn't a huge fan of this back in the day, but God damn it, if this doesn't take me right back it to that time, time right? Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. Oh, it man. really was. It was everywhere. These triplet fills that he does at the end. The oh, drummer. the drummer, yeah, killing it, absolutely. Oh, so yeah. disjointed and perfect. Monsters. Oh, wait. Let's just end a song shitty. Yeah, right. Oh, God. The 90s was so fun. I just love that shit. Oh, man. So good. They did end they it just real shitty. They just apart, fell right off. Crank the vocals. God. Because it was desolate. It was like, we're not even trying, guys. Who's got some hilarious. girls? Oh, man. Uh, so cool. All right, so what was your first, like when, when you first, what, how did you first come across this? Was it the video? Was it the radio? How, uh, like- I, I, I knew them, I knew they were, 
almost a household name. Where By I'm the from. time, but yeah, when you first yeah. But when I first up. got this, it was probably from some subscription club like BMG or Columbia yeah. House, where you rip them off and you get all these records, right? right? Or dare I say, lifting stuff from Walmart or Media Play or whatever. I don't know. I was an asshole. But uh, well, did it punch you in the face right when off I the bat? Play. I was. I didn't think that was nice of them, and that's because <laughs> it, it just goes blam, like immediately, just screams in your face, and it was. I was like. I don't know. There was a few other records that did similar things. I believe uh, um, Vulgar Vulgar Display of Power Mm. by Pantera starts out with Phil screaming at you and it just... Oh, on definitely the self-titled System of a Down album. Starts with like little guitar harmonics then full band downbeat. Mm -hmm. Like just heavy and aggressive and it lets you know your next 45 minutes is going to be awesome. Let's just wake up. Okay, pay so, attention so that's, to this record that's now. What this was We're taking for you? you into a different attitude entirely. That's totally what this was when you first hit. Hour. When yeah. you first hit play, you were in. Right I was away. like, whoa. Well, then, uh, then as like musically, as I matured personally, uh, different things started standing out on this record that are arranging ideas that I still use to this mm. day that I don't think are celebrated near enough. Um, and again, I picked this album because it does so many things that I could say about other bands. Chris Novoselic is one of the most under-celebrated bass players of all time. That dude made Nirvana catchy. You listen to what he's doing on the bass line, everyone's like, oh, he's just playing the chords. No, that's what most bass players are doing. Actually, he's playing weird counter-melodies. He's following more of the voice a lot of times, Hmm. filling in the blanks. In, instead of just playing the, ba- the the chord changes, like misconception on that band in a big way, I would say the same thing about Mike Starr on this album. You listen to a couple of these songs, it's riff rock in the same way that Aerosmith was doing back in the like late 70s and right. shit, where it's just like, all right, we're going to milk this riff and add three others and sing on top of it. Hmm. But he would stay on the first riff while the other riffs changed. And it would just put you into this trance-like heaviness uh-huh. with the lowest string and the lowest notes he could play. And it's just like, just milk that for a long time while this other thing starts happening on top of it. And then vocals come in. And it's and it's like, I don't know, it's like tossed salad style arranging where it's like you have these ingredients, mm-hmm. you're starting with them separated, and then we're going to mix them all together throughout until you have the perfect bite. Right. Yeah. That's an interesting analogy, tossed salad. I use a lot of... Uh, I use a lot of food analogies. We, you know, you know what? I have a, I have another podcast with our friend Sybil Chanel. Oh yeah, Sybil. Uh, and uh, we have a lot of food analogies on that podcast as well. It seems to be like when it comes to music, it's it's oddly easy to jump to food as the thing to use to describe uh, the feel or the sound of another music. We all gotta eat. <laughs> All right, man. So let's jump into another track off of Oh man, uh, Alice and Well, Chain. let's uh, let me Dirt. just talk really quick about how weird the '90s was for production. Okay, because it was the end of the cassette tape era and the beginning of the CD era. It was, but vinyl is the only thing that seems to have stood the test of time, anyway. And when you make a vinyl record, a lot of people don't think about this, but you have 22 minutes on each side of the record if you want it to sound good and loud. Right. And the last song, the center of the record on each side, you it's the needle is actually going past the vinyl faster than the outer rim of the record. It's just basic physics. Even though the spindle is moving at 33 or 45, whatever you have, the center song on a 33 
it doesn't get as much sound quality. So that's why on Led Zeppelin albums, you'd hear just Robert Plant, a mandolin, and a right. guitar. There's no drums. There's no distortion. So the 90s brought that into a big way again. And so the 6th and 12th songs on all these albums do, do that. Now, sometimes you can't go from the heaviest thing in the world to that. And so the food analogy I use is... <laughs> pickled ginger and i still use this on all of my albums okay where we're going from something real heavy to something real light or something real funky to something real sad i need to cleanse the palate like you do while eating right. sushi sure and you just need this one little filler thing um you know what i mean yeah so i do dirt has a really weird one it's really short it's called uh uh um this is when is it the untitled track i think Untitled? Yeah, I think it's just called Untitled. All Make right. sure this is the right one. Yep, totally. That's the one? All yeah. Right. Well, uh, That's why I couldn't remember the name of it. And it's just this little 10, 15 second thing. And when this popped out of the record, I was like, why did they make this? And then why did they decide to put it on the album? And that made me think about the flow of a 60-minute or 45-minute mm -hmm album instead right. of just writing a song how do you compose an hour which is something that's that's becoming a theme on this particular podcast because uh the art of the album i feel anyway is kind of getting lost and when it's all about singles these days it's a, it, every even every album is just a compilation of singles Band songs camp, don't right? necessarily right yeah, yeah songs don't necessarily flow from one to the next unless you're trying to craft an actual album and not just a group of singles but this particular podcast the thing i love about it one of the many things i love about these conversations i get to have is that we are discussing actual albums and the construction of an right. actual album right People use that word so lightly, I think. They do. When you have a photo album, you don't just put shit everywhere. You're right? like, this is our trip to the Grand Canyon right. for the next three pages. Exactly. And then what do you want to do after that? You don't want to go to high school graduation <laughs> photos if you were only in elementary school. Yeah. It's a, there's a way to organize something so a viewer or listener even mm -hmm. can swallow it in its entirety. Yeah. If an album feels like 45 minutes long, you did it wrong. I agree. It should feel like 15 minutes of your life just went by. You're like, wow, where did the time go? Right. Because it put you in a place where you're engaged constantly. Mm -hmm. I agree. And which list? is, it's yeah. another reason that I love concept albums so much because mm, when they're done properly, like I am when they're done right. It's Rare. a very, but it has happened. It has happened. I'll we'll do talk it about one day. We'll come back. We'll, we'll have another podcast all about concept albums, me and you. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's play that untitled thing really quick. Untitled. And they'll take you to a real, song this is a real track okay but it's not a real song song you know it's super All right. short so this one is untitled from dirt by alice in chains what's the next one on there we'll just uh hate to feel you know what we'll just go into hate to feel from this one all right so yeah. untitled into hate to feel from dirt 
Hate to Feel Whoa. from 1992's Dirt. There's a lot to Alice in Chains. That song, man. Uh, yeah, the, the you and I were talking while we were listening to this tune. Those harmonies to me make the Alice in Chains sound. Okay, so here's my theory on that, and I bet Jerry Cantrell would back me up on this. Jerry was the driving force, not just creatively, but just as far as material. We need more songs. We need to do some stuff. And so he would jot down words and sing it, and right out of his own vocal range, and then hand it over to Lane a lot of times. So Lane would be the voice, mm-hmm. but their harmonies are what the whole thing is working around. That's Jerry's genius. Mm. That's that's where he's coming from. So you have a lot of parallel harmonies. You have a lot of dissonance. You have a lot of things that you'll hear in like Eastern European music. Mm-hmm. You have odd meters, tempo changes. It's There's some very Zappa-esque changes happening on this oh, tune man, to me. It's nutty. It's, it's not even fair. And then you have like <laughs> um, the, the bass line in this next section is doing one thing. The guitar line is way up the fretboard, and then, okay, so right here, okay, right here though in the song, compress the vocals just for the pre-chorus. Right. I still do stuff like that when I'm making a record. I'm like, we need an effect right here. Mm -hmm. We need something here so when it comes to the chorus in three seconds, all these vocal harmonies, guitar parts, bass lines, I hear seven ideas going on at the same time, and Mm. there's only four dudes in this band. Right, right. It's interesting shit, man. I, I'm actually revisiting this after so many years of not hearing it. Sure. I'm way more impressed than I was because I'm listening to it, you know, as a, as a musician with years of performing and writing under That's my how belt. how dry this guitar solo is. But it's, I'm, I'm so much more impressed with these guys as an adult than I was as a teenager. <laughs> okay, so this is Mike Starr playing bass on this record. I never met him. Um... Stupid joke, but he got fired from Alice in Chains for doing too much heroin, so I think he deserves a trophy or a medal or something. <laughs> right? But, uh, there, there was a lot of heroin back then, um, and that was why he was asked to leave. Uh, they ended up with Mike Inez, who'd been working with Ozzy and his friends with the Girls from Heart. I got to meet him at the House of Blues right after Lane Staley died. Oh, wow. And I was just a stagehand and stuff, uh, really not supposed to talk to the artist for a lot of reasons, but... I saw him walking around. He was playing with heart, and I didn't know why. And I don't know what came over me. I was just like, hey, man, I don't want to bug you. I know you're busy, but I'm really just really sad to hear about your buddy, Lane. Um, you know, you guys made great music, and it really influenced me over. Oh, I'm getting choked up. Really influenced me in a lot of ways. And mm. just, yeah, thanks for all the great music, man. And he became my best friend for the next 20 minutes. He's like, yeah, man, I'll tell you all about it. You see, my mom went to high school with Hart. And oh, wow. so they got me the Aussie audition. And then when Mike Starr backed out, I auditioned for them. And, you know, me and Jerry get along great. And, you know, it was real sad. But Hart came to the funeral and saw me all broke up. And they were like, hey, baby boy, you want to go on the road with us? You need a gig? Oh, wow. You know, you want to get your mind off it? We, you know, we'd love to have you. And, like, yeah, but he That's took heavy. me to the side sat me down during my shift. We're drinking a beer over at the bar at House of Blues. My production manager is seething, like comes up to me and is like, you're not supposed to be doing this, but guess what? This is what you're paid for now. Make sure that guy doesn't have a nervous breakdown before he gets oh, on stage. Wow. You just brought up his best friend's funeral before showtime, asshole. I'm like, oh, oh that's a very good point. I could have gone very wrong. Yeah. But Mike Inez was one of the nicest dudes I ever sat around with. One of the only, like, not only, but one of the real human beings that I got to meet out of that experience of, you know carrying guitars and amplifiers for professional musicians and rock right. stars and shit. And he was no ego. He was just really, really humbled and took me to the side. We just shot the shit for a while. 
That's pretty awesome, man. Yeah. I love hearing stories like that because so often you hear of, of you dicks. Know, dicks. I mean, I've told the stories on on this podcast of like meeting guys and and you know that I've loved and looked up to and been disappointed. I try uh, so hard not to be a dick sometimes yeah, because right? I mean it sucks. You're in the van, mm-hmm. your gear is breaking down because you're yeah. traveling hard. You have I, I have ten people in the van with me, you know, when mm-hmm. I'm traveling with the squirrel and zippers, and you know we don't argue or fight but there's been a couple of personalities where i'm like i just can't really be around that person yeah. right now but now yeah. it's like a, a a crappy sound check situation right. i'm like having a fucking mm-hmm. argument over politics with this guy and we yep. can't like there's you know so don't shit on the crew right don't shit on the audience mm-hmm. don't, well, and that's the thing is like you and take I, them to the side like an adult and you're like okay mom and dad are fighting in the car right. for a second all right and i'll tell this to my listeners uh when you, if you meet any of your musical icons or whatever, if they happen to be a bit, uh, you know, giving you the cold shoulder a bit, Ego right? Fucking... That it could just be that they're a dick, but it could also be that like the road is fucking hard, dude. Maybe and, their cat died, right? And and they you can't get the home, or happened? maybe they're maybe they're missing their kid's birthday, or whatever maybe it is. Maybe they're going through a divorce, right? It could whatever. Maybe it is. they're a dick. I have met. I've <laughs> met. A You're few, forgetting that one though. Maybe, maybe they're just a dick. Maybe you can't just give everyone a get out of jail free card. Maybe they're like that all the time. Oh, absolutely, you know? they are. Like, absolutely, and that that was a caveat. Maybe they are just a dick, but at the same time. You know, people are people. You know how I've you can met, tell the difference? How's that? If they're addicted to their own band. That's a good point. I've met people on the road a couple times, and one time they're nice to me, and then the next time they're not. And so it's, you know, right. it's... That's a can, good if you meet them multiple times. But right. if you only meet them once, right. you're like, that guy was an asshole to me, but like the bass player gives him a hug, you know something's right. going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, okay, so <laughs> I don't mind shitting on Jethro Tull. I thought they made some cool music, but I worked for him, and that Ian dude's a real prick. Really? He made his... There's two dressing rooms upstairs from the main stage of the House of Blues. Uh-huh. He required both of them, and his whole band that had been working with since the 70s was required to stay in the fish garbage hallway outside of the parish. Oh, and wow. then the other band playing in the parish did just not did not have a backstage. Right. Yeah. That's how that worked. I remember the kitchen was my backstage when I played the parish once. Uh-huh. It's There's the bad. downstairs too. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In the fish garbage yeah, yeah. hallway that goes out to the street. Yeah. Because yeah. it's a seafood place. And that's where Jethro Tull had his, <laughs> his band. <laughs> These sixty year old men had to stay down there because his he had to practice his flute. Oh wow. dude, he was an asshole to everyone what who the worked fuck, there and man. his own crew and his own band so well you could just tell this isn't a bad day that's ridiculous. this is in his contract he signed up to be a dick <laughs> yeah. all right man so look anyway uh alice in chains yes let's digress <laughs> alice how how in what way did this band influence your work directly i have this wanted album? to sing like this guy my whole life i can't do it i'm a baritone he's obviously a tenor but mm-hmm. i have written songs that have tried to hit that vocal range i still demand greasy guitar solos on this uh, song that I'm going to play you later by Flyway, the record I produced, and I'm yeah. the guitarist in Flyway, um, but uh, I was like, there is a song on here that needs a good, long guitar solo, but I don't want it to be two-dimensional. So just like songs on this album, the first half of the solo, them bones, them bones, the first half of the solo is on a Stratocaster, and the second one is on a Telecaster uh-huh. or a Gibson. It's literally a different instruments playing the second half of the solo with like a sustain from the first part and i was like that is going on this record Mm. the space in between songs was it the same guitar player yeah 
who just he just picked up a solo on a different inst- on a on a because another it guitar needed, halfway because through. it needed a different guitar That's tone for the second half. Yeah. Well, you hear, hear like Stevie Ray Vaughan will do that kind of thing by just hitting the 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 pickup selector yeah. on his on his Strat. Mm-hmm. Well, they're in the studio and they're just like fuck that. I I I think it needs this kind of Marshall sound for the front half, but on the chorus, mm-hmm. just like the vocal harmonies change, what if the guitar change? See, it's interesting when we were listening Arranging, to that. Baby. So when we cool. were listening to that, I noticed that and I was like, oh. The rhythm guitarist is now nope, taking a there solo. There is no rhythm guitarist. Bass, <laughs> drums, guitar, vocals. That's it. Interesting, man. That's pretty hip. Four dudes. Yeah, I Jerry's did. a killer arranger. Hell yeah. So, so it was just, uh, it was ideas or is there's no, yeah. you didn't, well, you wanted to sing like okay. that. Okay. Let's talk about the foundation of their harmony. So of course they use a lot of different techniques for their, uh, the way that they decide to stack their vocal harmonies. Yeah. Over the years they grew and changed by the last record they put out the self-titled, there was like six part harmonies coming off just in the verse, mm. you know? And it was like angel harmonies coming from two dudes, yeah. oh, multi-tracking and everything, layering. Um, which I still love using tons of vocal harmonies. Me too. Oh, I bet you do. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the idea of doubling vocals, there's a time to stop it to make it more exciting. So oh, on absolutely. production yeah. elements, they're a big influence. And then the actual like music theory behind mm. their harmonies. I got into klezmer music, and I did not understand why I understood so quickly how to play these old melodies that are in a completely different mode that most of uh, Western European, as my ancestors are, uh, it's it's not like classical music. It's right. a different kind of scale. It's more yeah, North it's African mode, yeah. and Russian. And I did not know why these Turkish melodies were so easy for me to, well, natural for me to memorize. And I realized it was because of bands like Soundgarden, Tool, Alice in Chains, who had probably visited there done a bunch of fucking hair on in fucking <laughs> Morocco or something and heard all these scales were like, what if that was heavy? So what if that had distortion on so it? So you find all that shit in I their music. I am now finding that these influences were like subconscious. Interesting. That things from my past with these bands, oh, of course, odd meter, mm-hmm. like dropping a beat, dropping a bar. Soundgarden was amazing at that. Alice in Chains didn't mess as much with odd meter, but tempo changes and yeah. entirely groove changes, like we just heard in Hate yeah. to Feel, yeah. just stops being what it was and turns into something turns into else. something completely different, yeah. And makes its way back around so naturally. It doesn't right. even make sense. How did that modulate? So I use those ideas all the time. Lyrically, I've always been, I feel like, falling short of hitting that da-da element that people had in the 90s. Mm. Allison Chains was very good at saying things that are hot words that don't mean anything but make you think. That's a good point. Yeah. Beck was yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. at saying things that don't have meaning but make you think. Radiohead, Portishead, mm-hmm. all the heads, Bjork. But she, I don't know how many languages she speaks. That's almost <laughs> cheating. Uh, I'm I'm such a uh, I don't want to say a literal mind I'm, I'm actually not a literal mind at all but <laughs> I do find myself trying to uh, force meaning to you know to songs sure. uh, I think every writer does and that. not necessarily saying oh this is my interpretation but, but saying this must be what this they is what meant it means. yeah well, we were talking about Diego Rivera's artwork and how it's very literal mm-hmm. and that's a very difficult thing for a lot of artists to comprehend and do because you feel cheesy when you're literal. It's true. So when you're metaphoric and you apply it mm-hmm. to lyrics, it's almost like, like look, a, how, look how clever I, I am. I think about it like hockey pads or something. You're protecting yourself because if you're too literal, someone might say, I disagree or dislike ah. and that might hurt you more. But if you're metaphoric, you could say, but they didn't get it. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
There's, yeah. I've, for me, when I'm when I am metaphoric and when I'm uh, when I use a lot of analogies and and double entendre, I'm coming from that that old school hip hop thing. Sure. Of like wrap it up in metaphor. But wrap it's also it up really sexy words. Right. Sure. The words you're. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Beck is so good at this in his early days. Mouthwash, Dude. jukebox, gasoline. Come why on. do I still know those three right. words in that order? Right. They mean literally mouthwash jukebox gasoline, gasoline. Yeah. but still it's in that breakdown section Dude, that whole bu- that whole album music the whole uh uh what was the what was the the totally. soul album nah the soul record midnight, midnight vultures. vultures dude that whole thing it's just non sequitur phrase after non sequitur phrase and it's and it's like but it sticks in genius. your head how did yeah. you do it in a way that's catchy i swear he's just got lists of cool sounding words and like makes a match. Yeah. Man, you know what I would do? I actually thought about this once, probably high. And I was like, uh, <laughs> I think he started writing down words based on how many syllables they have and where the accent are and quantifying them so he could put them anywhere he wants on any melody. Interesting. You know, that he's got his own little notebook when he's on the road and just trying to wind down from a gig and he's uh-huh. just trying to find three syllable words where the accent is on the middle syllable. Man. And banana. you know what though? He's such, he's, he's an, you know, he's banana. An like artist. you have to think about it like that. Like, right. What are other words that feel like that? Karate. <laughs> you know, like he, he sat there and just like making like I'm just winging it right now. But like, what else yeah. does that? And just sat there and just yeah. that way he could banana karate, banana karate. That's the name of this podcast. Maserati. Right? Ooh, Maserati is four syllables, <laughs> but <laughs> but That's it accents on the third ended. one. So a right. lot of Italian based words are going to be a Maserati. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. So what's the next track you want to talk about? Oh, by by Allison Chains. Rain when I die. <laughs> right on. Rain when I die uh, from Alice in Chains 1992 release Dirt. Chain's 1992 release, Dirt. Uh, what is it about this tune that's like? Oh, I get so amped when I hear to that. The sick bones. Uh, first of all, I like noises that you can't write on sheet music. Mm. So bands like the Toadies, who would have their feedback ring out for the first whole chorus, and it's just yeah. like oh, Weezer with their feedback and their off harmonies, and, and so this, all of the guitar work at the beginning over that droning bass line the drummer confusing you as to where the downbeat is at the beginning of the song, but everyone right. seems to know and come in at the same time. 
that bass line lasts for what it was just looking like a minute and 30 seconds, <laughs> and now it's back again. This yeah. bass line almost doesn't change the entire song. It just makes this trance pulse of heavy and yeah. super deep. Oh, man, Mike Starr just killed me on this record. Whole album. <laughs> uh, the tones, the different guitar sounds, the bass guitar sounds. Never a big fan of the drum production of this band. Sean Kenny's a killer drummer, but he's got that 80s gated drum sound, which is... Uh, the 90s was a, a lot of things that a lot of genres had was really high-pitched crack snare drums. And they take their symbols, this is for all you production nerds, they take the drum symbols and elevate them another foot and a half from where the other drums are so they could isolate and make the toms and snare drums sound huge. Right. You know, so it wouldn't muddy up the microphones. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, just that heroic. Now I'm gonna yeah. How many notes per syllable? Rain is a one-syllable word. Nine, nine syllables out of a four-letter word. Just soulful. Oh, this cathartic solo happening right mm. now. Just breakdowns. It sounds like they're falling into his LSD. Spiral, it does. circling into the gates of hell. <laughs> They're singing harmonies, and the guitar part is playing a third harmony. They're singing two part, and uh -huh. the, the, they're completing it. So cool. Interesting. You're right. It's yeah. so cool. That is no pretty one cool. Does that you know? Like, see, that's not something I ever would have picked out. No, uh, it's when you try and figure out how to play and sing some of these songs. Cause you listen, it's like Beatles songs. You sure. listen, you're like, oh, that's that's easy. It's catchy. I know it. And yeah. then you pick up a guitar. You're like, what the fuck did he do? Yeah, right. What the what the right? How is he doing that while singing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, some no of it, shit, like Nirvana right? early work. How yeah. is he physically he's such a weird man? King's X did that to me. I could never play King's X and sing oh, it at God. the same time. So Aiden, Aiden Paul from the Rotten Cores, another band I'm in. He's the he's the quarterback in that band. I'm the fiddle player. Okay. And uh, he made a great point about Kurt Cobain because he gets shit on as a bad guitarist for what thirty years now. It's fine. I'm sure it would really bum him out if you didn't think he was Joe Satriani. Yeah, right. You know, but. But the thing is, when you're a crappy guitarist and you know you are, your natural inclination is to play G, C, D, A, and E and just play the folky chords that you figured out. Sure. Kurt Cobain was really weird. Like, there was something just a little bit off because he knew he was a crappy guitarist and that was the last thing he wanted to do. Right. Like, his creative drive towards that instrument was more about patterns that he came up with than what someone else showed him. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Just, oh shit, if I put my two fingers here, it does. He didn't know what he was doing sometimes. Right. And then thank God for Chris Novoselic translating it into something <laughs> that he could play. Like. But no, that's that's the spirit of invention the 90s had. Oh, this song also is the first time I remember hearing something fade out and come back in that mm. wasn't my dad's music. That's interesting. You know? I, uh,. Like my like listening to can't Strawberry Fields to Forever a, fades out and comes back right. in, right? Classic. I'm trying to think of a contemporary tune that, that I know that, that has done that. There's no reason to do it unless you're listening to the whole album. Right. You're, that's true. And like this is where you would, you're listening to WPPL, you know, and they would just <laughs> cut out right there. But no, sorry, we're not done rocking you just yet. There's just a little bit more. And here it comes. Wait, is it? Oh, wait, I thought this song was over. <laughs> oh, that's fucking cool, guys. See, that would have been a fine ending to that song. Sure. But instead, they need a shitty 90s noise. 
It's the best. That's how you know the song is over. That's their ba da ba ba da ba is. Yeah, right. So cool. Uh, all right. Which so I'm gonna play for you on this flyaway track that we send your way. Let's uh, let's try this one more time. What's the um? I gotta look up the name of the song. If you could draw. See if I could. Sick. Yeah. If you could draw a straight line ah. from Allison Chains to a song that you would like to play for my listeners. I gotta look up the name of the song <laughs> <laughs> because it's not by me; it's produced by me, and ah, it is I that see. is the straight line. It's more about production. Okay. And we this record's not out yet, and I just so ask me that question in just a second. Sure. Let me see if I can't actually get the. In file. fact, I'm gonna ask you a couple of the same questions. That sounds great. I should have just brought that fucking album. So stupid. Um, it's not a world to believe in. I gotta find it. Hang on a second. Let's take a smoke break. Sure. If you want to ask me another couple questions before we do that, just for well, no, it's fine, man. Let's, right, just, let's take a smoke break. Great, yeah. And so if you had to draw a straight line from Alice in Chains or its inspiration on you to uh, a project that you're working on these days, what would it be? Oh, it's got to be Flyway. Flyway. Flyway is the most 90s-ass band ever. Um, more 90s than the 90s was, in my opinion. <laughs> and I'm really happy that I got to produce it. Um, Naylor Stone is our fearless leader, and uh, he wrote a lot of these songs back in the 90s. Um, and then when the band started getting together and fleshing out his uh, older material, because he had never really started a band. He just mm. had all these things. And he's like living his 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 creative element right now. He's going through a a personal renaissance and pumping out all these songs. He's like, I think this would sound good with the band too, guys. So we have a mix of some uh, older material and brand new stuff. Um, Straight line would be from the album Dirt to the song Oh Me Oh My on the new album Whispers and Wines. The Whispers and the Wines. Okay, and what, what is it about this particular okay. selection? Um, it's mostly on the production element, but you're going to hear me throw in some Jerry Cantrell sounding guitar parts. Right on. You know, I wear my influences on my sleeve, and you're definitely going to hear uh, some Sean Kinney-style drums coming from Roy Durand. He's an amazing drummer. Uh, he's out in Mobile, Alabama these days, but always comes back for Flyway and the rotten cores and uh you're gonna hear two guitars playing one solo section not doubled but halfway through the guitar solo it's a different instrument a different production style a different amplifier just for the creative well, not creative for the the arc of excitement mm. you know it, it, it opens the sonic space up by switching yeah. the instrument adds another right layer um, and you're also going to hear a shitty nineties ending where it just decays into like crunchy noises could have easily made it a hard stop, but no, no, I'm just going to hit stuff until the song's over. Fuck. Yeah. I love it. I, I love, love it. That. Uh, sick. It's always great talking to a fellow Bro, music it's been nerd. Too long. Absolutely. I, I love sitting down and shooting the shit with somebody that, that listens to music the way I do, man. Well, uh, always a pleasure. The, the listening audience and podcast world is Equally curious about listening to musicians talk about music. 
Yeah, let's hope so, right? Uh, I think there's other nerds out there. I think there's I'll, nerds. I'll find a pocket, oh, yeah. a little nerd pocket. Yeah, any luck you'll get well respected by all these other music nerds who can't stop talking about it. Yeah, man. Maybe give some people some ideas and reminds <laughs> them that they liked something. Right? I was I had a nickname in college that was behind my back and I didn't know it. Was I that? was I was going to Berkeley College of Music in 99 only and uh, <laughs> and uh I was told that I was called the last grunge kid. The last, the last one. This is the last kid who's getting into this school who's still excited yeah. by bad motor finger and can't stop talking that's about hilarious. it. Hilarious. And I was like, that's my reputation. I'm going for jazz and film scoring, and I'm known as the last, the last one. Grunge kid. Who's like, man, I'm listening to this Melvin's record. It's really talking to me. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Man. Everyone's downloading everything by Herbie Hancock on Napster, and I'm going straight to like the deep cuts by nine inch nails right and, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah man you're my kind of people sick oh dude i love you so brother funny um, love you too what uh what's the album that this oh me oh my is on this is on the whispers and the wines the whispers and the wines which, by uh, fly i like this song so much or i fly convinced away. him to use one of the lyrics from this songs as a song title so that's also uh, from 90s repertoire. Sometimes the name of the album, historically for different artists throughout all time, has been the name of the biggest song, the eponymous track. Sure, yeah. You know, there was the a good chance track. that Nevermind could have been named Smells Like Teen Spirit. Easily. You know, yeah. no problem. Easily. But a lot of the bands would use just one cool lyric. Uh-huh. And that that would, wouldn't even be the name of the song. Yeah. But that captures something in the... This album could have been called Oh Me Oh My, in my opinion. Right on. But The Whispers in the Wines. The Whispers in the Wines. Is a lyric in this song that keeps coming around and does capture a lot. You, you hear some Pixies influence, maybe some Weezer, nice. uh, some uh, obviously Alice in Chains, um, a little bit of. Uh, there's so much that <laughs> I love about playing in this band because yeah. I'm like. Now, uh, I'm a better musician than I was in the 90s when mm. I was a teenager, so I can actually do these things. Sure. I know how to talk to studio engineers and, and get right. the sound I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, it's important. And, oh, man, like if I'd have been 10 years older but the same guy... I probably would have moved to Seattle and had problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, man, if the people, if my listeners want to get in touch with you or want to want to dig you Fiddlekiller. up, fiddlekiller.com. Fiddlekiller.com? At fiddlekiller on all social media, fiddlekiller.com. You'll know it's me if it says Dr. Sick. On Facebook, they kicked me off because I'm not really a doctor. Spoilers. Um, but. Uh, uh, but uh, but he is a fiddle killer. You can find me on Facebook on my fan page. Everything is at fiddlekiller and fiddlekiller.com. Right on. Aptly named, my man. Snzippers.com to check out the new album and any upcoming tour dates. Yes. For uh, Squirrel Nut Zippers. Other, I finally joined a 90s band. That's kind of I know, cool. right? That's pretty amazing, man. I was uh, surprised. The few, I, I've, I have yet to see you perform live with them. But you the missed few, out. I know. Uh, that show is so cool. Listen, man, I've seen some clips online and I'm like, fuck, I got to see this group live with Sick. It's like, nuts. you guys look It's uh, not it looks just amazing. me, man. There's, there's, it looks like a blast. There's 10 people on stage. It's absolutely chaos. Oh, that's and what I'm saying. But I mean, but I told him we need to come up with choreographed moves. And there's so many creative people in this, you know, like some people are very jazz forwards. I'm very like entertainment forward. And uh, I'm like, we, we should really do this. And the trumpet player was like, oh, that's cheesy. But it just happened naturally. 
like we, someone started doing something, someone started doing an impersonation of it. And next thing you know, there's things that we do every song, every time we play it, we do it differently every Mm -hmm. time. It's not hard choreography. It's not, um, not hard isn't difficult. It's not, um, a a strict plan of choreography. It's like, this is the part of the song where we do this thing. Right. Oh man. It's just, it's a spectacle. It's a spectacle. It looks pretty amazing, man. Especially. Totally different. And I'm not saying that, uh, that now I, now that since sick is in the group, I'm going to see them. What I'm saying is I've always wanted to see them. Now I have no fucking excuse. You got three tickets, bro. My man. I appreciate you, brother. All right. So, uh, we're going to get out of here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Dr. Sick, thank you so much for swinging through, my brother. My pleasure, man. Uh, Thanks for having me. Without further ado, uh, oh, me, oh, my, from The Winds and the Wines. Ah, the whispers, the whispers and the Wines. And the wines. Oh, me, oh, my, from The Whispers and the Wines by Flywood. Whispers in the wine